It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to the post-Vikings-Browns Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zelgad and... Well, Judd, uh, the ESPYs will not be giving out their best game of the year award to the Minnesota Vikings and Cleveland Browns for this Sunday's performance. I think what they should do the next time these two teams play at Twickenham Stadium is start the game at uh, at the approximate time, so it's 3.30 a.m. here. So there's <laughs> no desire on my part then to wake up. Because, I mean, I rolled out of bed begrudgingly at 8.10 a.m. and thought, oh, you know, I'll get downstairs and watch this game. Next time, starter at 3.30 in the morning, and we can all just get up and look at the final score and say, oh, okay, cool, the Vikings won the game. Let me ask you, Judd, how nervous were you in the first half that this was going to be the nightmare scenario where the Vikings somehow gave this game away and <laughs> botched uh, the, the game in London? How nervous were you? Uh, you know what? I would have been, except for there's precedent now this year. It's called the Bears game. I mean, the Bears game was just as bad. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Vikings, as we've talked about before, the Vikings have established that they have the ability, at least in the first half of this season, to win games super ugly. Um, And so my my nerves about a potential Vikings loss in this game were lessened by every time I thought to myself, the Browns could do it. I I thought the same thing about Mitch Trubisky and the Bears, and they didn't do it. So that basically allied my fears that uh, that the Vikings were actually going to lose this game. However, that doesn't mean I enjoyed watching this game. And I, I, unless you are just a diehard drinking the purple Kool-Aid type of person, that was an awful display of what we like to call American football. It really did take an entire half of football for the Minnesota Vikings to seem like they were actually playing. I mean, I, I don't know if the sleep schedule was part of that whole thing. I don't know if that's overstated. I'm not a scientist, but it really looked like in the first half that they had not woken up from bed yet. I mean, especially on the Isaiah Crowell rushing touchdown where the Vikings defense, Anthony Barr and Everson Griffin barely got off the line of scrimmage. They just yep. handed it off to Crowell. He went up the middle. Anthony yep. Anthony Harris kind of half-hearted effort to tackle him. It, it was like they just were in a fog in the first half and nothing could get going for Case Keenum. He was having passes tipped and in the interception. 
I will say in the first half, there was a little bit of concern. I assumed that the Vikings would get it together in the second. But for me, the worry going into this game, the only worry was that they would throw a couple of picks from Mm -hmm. Case Keenum, and that Mm -hmm. would be a difference maker if you give up a pick six or a kick return for touchdown, which they almost gave up if you had some bad bounces. I mean, it does seem like weird things tend to happen every time teams go to London. I mean, earlier this year, there was the 44 to nothing game with the Jaguars and Ravens. Last year, there was a tie. So so it it seems like it's always a possibility when you go over to London that you're going to have weird things happen. And at the very beginning of that game, when he threw the tip ball interception, there was the thought that ran through my mind. Uh oh, this could be just one of those games. I you know what? I'd agree with what you just said in totality, except for one thing. It's Cleveland and they're so bad. I mean, they aren't. There's a lot of bad teams. But Cleveland is so off the charts bad. And you knew, if you were concerned at all, you knew when the Browns missed the field goal in the third quarter when I believe there were something like three lead changes. And at one point, the Browns were up by, what, one point? Yeah. You knew when that field goal missed, okay, it's still Cleveland. So if this had been any other sort of bad, uh, semi-pathetic team, I'd agree. But I'm watching that Cleveland team, and I'm thinking to myself, they're just so horse bleep. It's not even. It's it, it's going. Something's going to ha- happen here where the Vikings can uh, pull themselves away, and they did. And my takeaway for this game is: I know it was ugly, and I know that Case Keenum didn't play very well in the second half. Clearly, he's much better. He still finishes averaging less than seven yards per attempt. The interception is thrown in there. He's only 27 for 43 in the game, so I wouldn't qualify that as him having any sort of good game here but you have gone big picture six and two and five and two in games that case keenum has to play either most of the game uh, or at least a half say in chicago or has had to start you're five and two when relying on case keenum i think that's a dream scenario judd i i mean if you had told me at the beginning of the year which i think you may have predicted that case keenum would play quite a bit Uh, this year but if you had said at the beginning of the year you will go into the bye week where case keenum played all but six quarters what's your record i don't know if i would have gotten to six and two uh probably not and and go back to to the first game that keenum had to play at pittsburgh right i mean that was awful and we were sitting there watching that game saying this is brutal i mean can keenum has done for what he's been asked to do He's done a nice job. And this is why I give the Vikings credit for this. Last year, uh, their assumption going into camp was Teddy's our guy, and we'll just have Sean Hill, right? Sean Hill's going to help Teddy. He's going to be good in the quarterback room, but he's not going to have to play. Well, that was a stupid thought process in a league where guys get, get hurt. Case Keenum's not great, but Case Keenum gives and has given the Vikings the advantage of having what I would deem to be a serviceable backup, mm-hmm. which is which is a lot smarter than let's go with veteran geriatric backup who's never going to play because <laughs> we're just sure of, of that. I give the Vikings credit. The Vikings have done uh, going into the bye again, and what as I just said, we're going into the bye, so let's not get too excited because we did last year, but. What the Vikings have done, I think, uh, from a personnel standpoint this year, is they have given themselves a much better chance with backups, I think. Backup quarterback, much smarter. Backup tackle, Rashad Hill was developed. Uh, Last week, Reef got hurt in the third quarter. Rashad Hill stepped in, played left tackle, played pretty well, I thought. This week, Remmers gets hurt, 
early on. Rashad Hill steps in at right tackle. Uh, running back is deeper now. So I think if it's not as if the Vikings in the first half of this year haven't gotten guys hurt, but I think what they've done and been smart about is they've been far more prepared from a personnel standpoint for if guys do get hurt and guys do go down, there are capable backups to replace them, not Asiata, Mm-hmm. TJ, TJ Clemmings, right. Sean Hill. So now, now you've got to go trade your first round pick for Bradford. I think the Vikings philosophy of how to build the roster going into 2017, far smarter than 2016. Well, I think in, especially in the second half, credit goes to that depth on the offensive line for protecting yep. Keenum. And he was sacked once for a loss of one yard today. I mean, the pressure made a difference mostly in the first half, but in the second half, it seemed like Danny Isadora and Rashad Hill got things together. Hill had to come off the bench. I mean, he might end up being one of their most valuable backup players with the fact that he can come in in a game where you lose your left or right tackle and you don't feel like your offense is just going to fall off the face of the earth because this guy has come in and he had to play almost the whole game this week because Mike Remmers went out early with a concussion and Mm -hmm. we'll see how long Nick Easton is going to be out. He was practicing this week but couldn't play uh, at left guard and we'll see how long that uh, Mike Remmers is going to be out. But the fact that the offensive line wasn't completely demolished by missing two starters really says a lot about that. And once again, Jarek McKinnon coming up with a big game that if you're going to win with Case Keenum, his final stats don't look as good as he was because he was running at the end of the game. He had like a five yard loss or whatever. So he ends up averaging 3.6 yards a carry, but overall 122 yards from scrimmage, a touchdown, a 20 yard play mixed in the, the, the fact that they've been able to get much more out of Jarek McKinnon and mm-hmm. continue to have a running game, continue to have a screen game post-Delvin Cook. Each week, it's either been McKinnon or Murray to step up, and this week was a McKinnon week. Yeah, which is key because what we've seen, I think, too, is this doesn't then just speak to uh, having one guy like Peterson was, Matthew. This speaks to having a system, right? This speaks to to the fact that the system, the, system, the offensive uh, plan of Pat Shermer seems to work. And I like that because there's not one player then who you're beholden to. I mean, there's not just one guy who you say, Oh my God, if this guy goes out, you're dead. Keenum's in. You're not dead. Are, are you as good as you possibly could be? Probably not. Certainly not, but you still can operate. Uh, last week, Murray was fantastic. This week, McKinnon comes back and I wouldn't say he was fantastic for the entire game, but once they started to use him, he made a difference. So, I do think that we are talking about the fact that you now have a system in place that works rather than having a system in place that's geared towards one or two guys, which got frustrating. And this gives you a much greater potential if if guys do get hurt or aren't as effective to actually have a good game. A few other things I would say, Stefan Diggs, you were probably right. Uh, He looked okay and making that one circus catch that was a catch to me, but somehow not a catch to them. I, we, we can't, well, yeah. And here, I don't know. Here's my thing too. So if that, if that's not a catch, all right, because he, what didn't fully control the ball supposedly until he went out, out of bounds. Why did we, why did, why did we not review the Treadwell catch at the end of the first half when right. he caught the ball, made one move, dropped the ball i mean well and first of all what are you doing dude there's like eight seconds left get out of bounds but nonetheless why are we so 
Hugh Jackson challenged the Diggs catch. I understand that. The Treadwell catch at the end, end of the first half was within the last uh, couple of minutes of the half, so I understand that that would have had to be a booth challenge. But why is that not reviewed? Can you explain that to me? I don't know. When Treadwell dropped the ball when he was out of bounds, I thought, oh, this is going to be the Des Bryant rule, that he didn't continue to have it all the way to the ground or whatever it was. He didn't go to the ground. He didn't have it all the way through going out of bounds. And I thought, I actually thought when he dropped that ball, oh, man, this is going to come back, right? But with Diggs, he had the knee down. He had the ball in his hands all the way to the ground. And I can't figure out what part of that rule made it not a catch. Um, but I would say that uh-huh. if they hadn't played Stefan Diggs today, if they had just let him sit, they probably would have been okay. But I, I think it was a good sign that even when he was in, he didn't make as big of an impact as Adam Thielen, but he looked fine. He looked like he could still run his routes. He looked like he could still get hit, had some explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. Case Keenum didn't find him very often, but but having him back in the lineup, back to 100%, that's what you need now going into the bye. I think that's a big factor for this offense, no matter who is playing quarterback when we get out of the bye. My concern uh, about Diggs today specifically was the fact that there was going to be a play where he made a catch or did something and came up lame again, and he didn't. So that's the good news to me. Uh, by the way, congratulations, and, and I mean this in all sincerity. I'm not being a smartass, and I'm not ripping him. Adam Thielen. Your constant whining and bitching and moaning worked (laughs) because that was an, I don't care what the defender did to maul you in the end zone. You weren't going to catch that ball unless you were Yao Ming or Matumbo. You had no chance, but you have whined so much the last two or three games. They threw the flag and I'm being sincere when I say this, it worked. It was because I, I I was saying to myself, he's not going to get any calls. He's doing nothing but complaining. But on that play, if you go back and look, that ball's not catchable. There's no way you can catch that ball. And they threw the flag. So congratulations. Your philosophy worked, and I was wrong. <laughs> and Adam, I'm serious. No, no, I, I agree with you uh, that, uh, that he wasn't going to be able to catch that ball. It was a penalty, though. I mean, what what the – who was it? Uh, the former gopher guy. I mean, he grabbed him, so it was a penalty. But a, a really good yeah. game, a really good and important game for Adam Thielen. They needed somebody to step up. And there were a couple of throws by Case Keenum that just are not that accurate. And he had to adjust in the air and make plays. And, and this is the thing that, you know, these Vikings wide receivers have bailed him out so often that you have to wonder. I mean, you have to put yourself in a scenario where the Vikings had a healthy quarterback for the whole year. What type of numbers either Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford would have been putting up with these guys playing at the level they were? If this team is fully healthy, I mean, oh, with 100%. Oh, Dalvin, Dalvin Cook, too, Collar? Yeah, the, I mean, the fact that they oh, could yeah. do that like they have with, with yeah. these guys with Keenum and still be a top offense, it makes me think yeah. they would have been one of the best in the league, which is really unfathomable considering where they were last year. If you have Teddy or Sam for the entire year, if you have Dalvin Cook back in and not and he does not get hurt, and you've got if you've got the full complement of your offense uh, that you had in training camp, I think the Saints game it might not be the norm, but you'd see it, you'd see it often. I mean, yeah. they there there would be no, there would be nothing against a lot of defenses in this league to stop that offense from being highly effective. And and where I give credit there is. Shermer's philosophy on how to run this thing going back to week one against the Saints was absolutely correct. I mean, he's had a great year. Mm-hmm. Pat Shermer has been fantastic. And basically, he clearly spent the summer months 
sitting down and examining what this team could do, knew there were certain components that certainly worked. But, yeah, I, I think if you put everyone back on the field, if it could happen and it won't against Washington, you have an offense that has the potential to look like it did in week one on at least a semi-consistent basis. I would not be surprised at all if we started to hear some buzz about Pat Shermer getting noise for being an, uh, a head coach again. If he, oh, he will starts to become yeah. a hot candidate, especially the way that this offense has continued to roll with Case Keenum uh, on the other side of the ball. Deshaun Kaiser is not ready to be an NFL quarterback. I, I, I think that that has been very, very clear through the first half of the season and was exceptionally clear again today. The only success he was able to have was one throw down the field to Ricardo Lewis and a bunch of dump offs to the running backs. Isaiah mm-hmm. Crowell had 54 yards receiving. But other than that, I mean, he just doesn't look like he can move the ball down the field at all. He can't throw it accurately down the field. Even toward the end of the game, the Vikings sent an all-out blitz, and he had no idea what to do in the face of that blitz. He, mm-hmm. looked, I mean, he looked about as lost as I expected him to look outside of the very beginning of the game when it didn't seem like the Vikings' defense had woken up yet. I said on Friday's show with Phil that if I was a head coaching candidate, and I think that this has happened in the past couple of years, caller, if the Cleveland Browns called me, I would say, no, I'm not talking to you. There's just no way. Yeah. Um, do you remember when Eli Manning's people told the Chargers, don't bother? Yes. Don't draft him. He was, okay. That to me seemed a little bit over the top. I mean, I get it, but it seemed a little bit. But I'm not kidding you right now. If I represented a quarterback, I would tell that young man, we are telling the Cleveland Browns not to draft you. Cleveland is where you go to die. There is, you know, if it's a couple quarterbacks, that might be a fluke. If it's five, six, you might get concerned. But we are talking about a line that begins in 1999 of complete and utter failures Mm -hmm. in this organization. If I and and I'm not saying that Kaiser's good. He might be a total bust. He might suck. With the Cleveland Browns, the Chargers, the Jaguars, the Giants, the Packers. But that being said, I would tell my client if Cleveland drafts you, you're not going there. Because the Cleveland Browns, the amount of times they change coaches, the amount of times they change quarterbacks, and the mismanagement of that team from the very top, from the very top, is so off the charts. That thing is a constant dumpster fire that can't be put out. I felt very sad for Hugh Jackson because I think that Hugh Jackson is a smart offensive coach. I I think his uh, clock management may have shown us that that might not be his uh, strong point, but many coaches struggle with that, including Mike Zimmer at times. Uh, But I I think he knows what he's doing offensively. And he certainly got a lot out of Andy Dalton when he was in Cincinnati. But Mm -hmm. here you do have to wonder if anyone can ever succeed. I do believe in what the Browns have done in the tanking and stacking up all of these draft picks, but it looks worse every day that they didn't draft Carson Wentz and they didn't draft Deshaun Watson, and they're trying to run out a quarterback who can't play. And you just wonder how many years in a row can you go with no progress shown before this is another failure of a rebuild? How many just draft picks can you get or or trades can you make for guys before you just look like, well, yeah, sure, you're stacking assets, but are you ever actually going to be good? And then, you know, this quarterback draft class, it seems to happen every time where the offseason before the previous draft, we always go, oh, well, next year's draft class, <laughs> watch out for that. 
And then as the college season goes along, well, Josh Allen's got some problems and Sam Darnold's got some problems and Josh Rosen's not perfect. And then all of a sudden it doesn't look so great again. Well, what other teams have done is have said, I mean, the Texans and then uh, Philadelphia, they said, you know what? He's the best guy we can get. So let's get him and hope that Mm -hmm. it works out and it's working out for those two teams. So I, I feel kind of bad for Hugh Jackson that it took him a long time to get a head coaching position, much like Mike Zimmer, but Zimmer fell into an organization that rebuilt their team. It looks to me like brilliantly with this roster, as opposed to Cleveland, whose but, roster is really, really weak. But where I don't feel bad for Hugh, Hugh Jackson and where I feel less and less sorry for Cleveland coaches is this, you know what you're getting into and the ineptitude has been proven. Yeah. So if you take over a team that has been successful and you drag it down or it falls apart, that's too bad. But if you look, if you are a head coaching candidate or you are a young up-and-coming quarterback, it's a situation where the, the failure is too much now. I mean, why, why do you think that you're that guy? The whole thing is a complete dumpster fire. Ownership is too. So I don't feel that bad for, for him because when you take that job, Ask Pat Shermer. When you take that job, you know that you're being set up to fail, and you furthermore know that you're probably going to last a year or two, or if you're lucky, you're going to pull down a paycheck while coaching that team for three years, and then you, and then you're done. It's just a it's a complete mess. Hey, question for you, sir: How impressed are you, given all of the things that have transpired for the Vikings? How impressed are you that they go into the bye six and two, given everything seemingly that has gone not according to plan? Uh, I think I would put my impressed level at maybe a seven out of 10. Um, That's good though. Yeah. In, in part because I'm very impressed with Pat Shermer. I'm incredibly impressed with the front office for what they did with this offensive line. It is an unbelievable turnaround. Riley reef has completely changed things. Mike Remmers had been very good until he got hurt today. Pat Elfline to me is a, a young star player. If you can be a star at the center position and mm-hmm. the decision to get rid of Alex Boone has paid off in spades for how well this team is able to move in the screen game. And we saw it again today to some extent. I mean, that to me is where everything has started with the success of this offense is the rebuild of the offensive line. And now Pat Shermer can do all these West Coast things and do all these things to cover up Case Keenum's inaccuracy down the field with those short passes, but that all has to start with the offensive line. And then the fact that they have some depth to fill in, it's just a great job from where they were last year. Although the the side note is you kind of put yourself in that position to begin with, but still you get an A plus for that. And the defense gets an A plus for how they've played in the first half of the season totally expected them to be this good and they have been, they've dominated. The only reason I would say seven out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10 is is because of the schedule has really helped them. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you're just trying to put on, like you like to say, the the purple glasses or whatever. You, I mean, the schedule has been a huge help. If you look at who they've played since the first game they played Drew Brees, congratulations, that was a great game. And now Brees is having another great year. You get beat by Ben Roethlisberger. Since then, Jameis Winston, who I'm starting to think isn't very good. Then you go from Jameis Winston... Who was next? You, uh, Matthew Stafford Matthew, Lions. And you Matthew lose. Stafford, you lose. So you lose to another good quarterback. And then the yep. rest of the way, you have Trubisky and you have Flacco and you have Deshaun Kaiser. And you really got 
some easy draws here with very bad quarterbacks that set you up in a position to win these games and to be six and two. And Brett Hundley is obviously thrown in there too. So I think that there's a little bit of luck of the draw that runs out after the bye week, but from the offensive side, you couldn't have asked for anything more. You couldn't have dreamed for anything more when Sam Bradford went down. And when they signed those two tackles, we all said, well, that looks good, but we're not sure. And they've been good. Uh, I've been the guy who time and time again uh, has criticized Rick Spielman for not cutting draft picks quickly enough or admitting to mistakes. The Alex Boone admission, as you just brought up, is very important because they could have been like, oh, you know, we signed into a big contract. We're going to bite the bullet here and wait until 2018. They didn't. That was smart. And schedule-wise, what I give them credit for is when we all sat down with the schedule before the season began, we said, okay, you go Breeze, Roethlisberger, Winston, and Stafford. And I think we all agreed, if you get through that two and two, that's mm-hmm. not bad. They did. And then they get, and then it got Trubisky, Rodgers, obviously it's fortuitous, but he gets hurt. You beat Flacco and Kaiser. So where I give them credit is the start of that schedule, the first four games looked very tough. They were two and two. And I think, I think the thing I give them the most credit for through six games, too, is it genuinely seems like they learned from last year. The whole offensive, who's running this show, what the hell is going on here, has been eliminated. Uh, Dalvin Cook looked fantastic. He got hurt. You're still, you're still uh, man- managing to win games. It seems, like, it seems like where things fell apart last year, especially internally, which, which was their own fault, in the locker room, I think Zimmer was sincere when he said that he spent time during the summer talking to people and trying to gain a grasp of what went wrong and how it wouldn't go wrong again. And through eight games, through eight games, I think they've done a very good job of coming back with a much better plan in place for how to keep this thing on track. And now, and now when they come out of the bye to me, it's going to get very intriguing though, because as far as the fun goes, we're just, get, we're just getting started, beginning with the question of not if, but when Teddy Bridgewater is going to play. I look at it. We'll get to that in a second. Trust me, I had not forgotten that, Judd. But uh, that's the fun part to me. I look at the game in Chicago as the game that was uh, an example of how this year is different than last year. Because last year, when they lost to Philadelphia, we all kind of looked around and said, you know... This might be a sign of bigger problems. Zimmer kind of had a meltdown after the game. They mm-hmm. were crushed on the offensive line. They were hoping that Jake Long could you know, come back and find it, which he kind of did briefly, but still, I mean, Jake Long, right? And TJ Clemmings was playing way too much, and there was the Norv thing that was going on with these deep drops. And we got all the sense when they lost to Philadelphia last year that something was not right with this team, and then the proof was in Chicago. That, and that's where it all went to hell. And yep. when they went to Chicago this year, this is coming off of the loss to Detroit, there was a chance that it could all go to hell again in Chicago, that you could lose to a rookie quarterback, that Sam Bradford could not show up and, and struggle with the knee, which he did, but you were able to overcome that, unlike mm-hmm. last year where there were many times at the ends of games that they did not overcome. Uh, if you remember against Dallas, for example, where a couple of mistakes couldn't finish off the game. They had uh, three or four of those games in Detroit, in Washington, where they had a chance to go down and, and tie or win a game. And they were able to do that in Chicago. And I feel like that has slingshotted them 
to where they've been able to overcome difficult situations or opportunities to melt down. And today was one of those, there's an opportunity to melt down here and you didn't do it and you got through a tough first half and took care of business as you should. That's something that in the second half of last year did not happen, but that doesn't make me for sure say that it won't happen again because the schedule is much more difficult. And right now it feels, um, I, I would say to your point, it feels like there's much more calm, especially from uh, Zimmer. Yes. It felt, it felt like last year at the first sign of trouble. I mean, that Philadelphia meltdown was, it was entertaining and I personally enjoyed it, but it was inexplicable. It was very hockey-like. It was very, the difference is hockey play a ton of games and hockey players don't care. So if their coach melts <laughs> down for the most part, they just don't care. And then they just play a night after that and things go back to the, the way they were a lot of times. But in football, if you melt down like that right after a game, and by the way, it drops you to 5-1, and one, I think your team's like, well, we don't play for another week, and why the hell did, did you just melt down at 5-1? and one? I feel like Zimmer has really calmed himself now. And, and I don't just mean being mad at his players. I mean in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. I mean when things go wrong now, when Bradford – I mean – you can tell that Zimmer's on edge about the Bradford thing, or at least he was. And I thought after the Pittsburgh game, oh boy, here we go again, because he was really curt in that post-game press conference. And I and I would, if you ask me deep down in my gut, do I really think that he thinks Bradford can't play? The answer is probably no. I think he can. I think Zimmer thinks Bradford can play. But instead of it becoming an issue, or instead of it becoming this big problem, it's just sort of been swept away, which is the smart move. So I, I feel like Zimmer's done a much better job of instead of uh, embracing the drama, he's allowed it to sort of roll off his back, which therefore means the players don't feel the drama. Felt like last year, every drama Zimmer got caught up in, and therefore his team got caught up in. Two things that have calmed down Mike Zimmer. One, beating Green Bay. I think leading up to that week was about as tight as I've ever seen him just wouldn't answer questions and seemed upset the whole week. Every time we talked to him and then the fa- after they beat green Bay, he was just like night and day. And uh, the other thing is Teddy Bridgewater that he's been sitting here wondering like the rest of us, if Teddy Bridgewater would ever play again, this is somebody that Mike Zimmer believes in unequivocally as his franchise quarterback. He said that he loves him. He said that he never wanted to have another quarterback in his career other than Teddy. And to see him back on the practice field as uh, much as Zimmer will try to come off like the hardest football man that has ever footballed. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there is a place in that cold-hearted uh, Mike Zimmer that exists a nice warm spot for Teddy Bridgewater. He's when the Grinch. He, he's yes, the Grinch. And, and his it's, heart grew yep, three right. sizes when yep. Teddy Bridgewater came back. And I think, does, he, I think right. you could see it. And now, awesome. uh, Judd, there's a report that Teddy Bridgewater could play coming out of the bye. I have said that I thought it would still take time of him taking first-team reps for himself for a full week at least or maybe more before he could actually be ready and you have to continue to try to test him fully in practice to get him some hits and feel like you can somewhat simulate game speed I think that that's hard especially you can't really practice during the bye week I mean you can to some extent but there are limits on how much you can practice so how are you going to get him all these reps that he needs to be able to step in but Ian Rappaport reporting today that it is a possibility. Uh, 
I still say give the man a little more time. I think you activate him. I think you have him as a backup quarterback going against Washington and against the Rams. I don't want him facing that Rams defensive line. They are ridiculously good, especially Aaron Donald. I would love to see him back against Detroit and have him as Mm -hmm. a backup for two weeks where he really prepares as a backup quarterback and then go from there. But I think what the message is here with this Ian Rappaport report today, Judd, is that Teddy Bridgewater return is going to happen. Yes, yes. It is now a question of when. And and I'm with you. I don't think, I don't know that, uh, now he, he can play because he's been cleared, but I don't know that bringing him back after the bye is the smart move. Um, but he is going to play. And you know what? You're probably right. That's a great point. Zimmer loves Teddy so much that that heart can expand and love can flow from Zim because <laughs> because of that. Um, but and that you know what too, this is going to be another interesting test of of Zimmer in the sense that it's going to be a situation that he has to handle. And is he going to try and slow cook it and it's going to leak out on a Thursday or Friday that Bridgewater started because he doesn't want to say so? Is he going to come out and just say, "Hey guys, you know what? Teddy's healthy. He's my guy. He's back in." I'm very curious to see. Because, once again, this is all going to go to sort of the maturity of Mike as a head coach, I believe. And it's not that he's going to screw it up horribly, but I do think it's going to be interesting how he attempts to sell it and do it. All of that being said, to me, the most important thing to keep in mind throughout this entire situation of Case Keenum starting is I don't think there's been any week, I don't think there's been any press conference or any time where Mike Zimmer has come out and said, Case is my guy. He sort of begrudgingly on Fridays just says now, yeah, he's going to start, which is fine. Um, but the the management of the quarterback transition for a six and two team, and I think nationally there's probably going to be some folks who say, oh wow, you're six and two, what, why make the move? But for any of us who have watched the Vikings on a week to week basis, we say to ourselves, okay, in this conference this year, this team has a real opportunity. But does it have an opportunity if it takes itself into the playoffs with Case Keenum starting to advance? And I think. You and myself and Mackie and the rest of us say probably not, or the answer is just flat out no. So I think internally, and I think for those of us who watch the Vikings consistently, despite the fact that you're 6-2, and two, we are not going to be surprised by the fact that Teddy is going to be the quarterback. But that doesn't mean it's not important how the situation is handled, and it doesn't mean it's not going to be enlightening to see how, how Zimmer has grown as a head coach to see how he goes about making this transition. Number one goal, number one thought process should be how can we go as deep as possible in the playoffs? It shouldn't be could we get to 11 wins or nine wins? I mean, I think that there's so much in the driver's seat to win this division. Of course, we've seen them blow it like they did last year, but they are at this point so much in a good spot to win the division that your thought process should not be, oh, man, we need him back as soon as possible, no matter what, get this guy back in the game, he's got to save the season. Well, Case Keenum has kind of already done enough to save the season and the defense and the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. And Pat Pat Shermer, don't sell Pat Shermer. And Pat Shermer and the running backs and the offensive line, everyone has saved the season, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Now you should be thinking with Teddy Bridgewater – how can we actually compete because this roster is good enough and this defense is good enough to be dangerous in the playoffs, but this quarterback is not good enough to be dangerous in the playoffs, Case Keenum. So how can we get Teddy Bridgewater enough work in the regular season as a starter 
to where he's starting to feel comfortable with what his leg can do going into the playoffs. I mean, I, I think that if you bring him back on Thanksgiving Day, you've got enough time to do that. If you bring him back right after uh, the, the bye, well, then that must mean he's ready, and that should give him enough time too and give you enough time to evaluate him. Can he actually come back uh, and play? The thing that I would be a little concerned about is if you bring him back right after the bye, if you rush him and you lose a couple of games, then all of a sudden the panic starts to set in, and now you might end up having to turn the ball back to Case Keenum. That's the thing you should be most afraid of. You do not want to have to at any point turn the ball back over to Case Keenum. And also another thing to note, Ian Rappaport said that there is no timeline on Sam Bradford. It does not look good for him playing at any point the rest of the season. So, I've gotten a few tweets. Why why aren't you guys mentioning Bradford as a possibility to come back? Because there has been no evidence whatsoever that he's going to play for the Vikings ever again. Because his left knee is a complete mess. He's Bobby Orr, folks. He's basically done probably. I mean, uh, he's going to need it. I'm sure they're going to have, have to go in and sculpt it and do something, and he'll end up somewhere else in 2018. I get that. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, you are going to – this is all about – Right now at 6-2, and two, coming out, out of the bye. This is about the slow play of how do you get Bridgewater back, how do you keep him there, and how do you then go into the playoffs, potentially, which they should, with the most momentum and or at your strongest possible. Because the thing about this, if you're sitting in Winter Park this week, okay, and you're doing all your self-scout stuff, which they'll do, and you're sitting down and you're realistically discussing the second half of the season, the conversation to me doesn't have to start with you. It starts with this. Hey, Mike, who in the NFC scares you? Mm-hmm. Who who do you look at and say, oh, my God, we meet them, she's over? You know, who is the Seattle Seahawks of two years ago? Who is the Patriots of the last few years previously? And my answer is nobody. My answer is our defense is really good if guys can stay – healthy which is imperative but that's a key for every single team that's good um my response is my offense is sufficient enough and if i can get bridgewater back and operating like he did pre-injury which is a big if i mean i get that we are not part of the problems with all our conversations is, is they always morph into these just presupposing that he's going to be fine and we don't know that for a fact but let's just play this out and say he does come back and he can play uh, a semblance of like he did when he led this team to 11 victories and a division title in 2015. And all of those things start to come together. And then you come back to me and say, okay, now the question is who scares you? My answer is nobody scares me. There's no team I look at and say, I can't beat them. But what I have to do is put myself in the best position possible that when we get to January to say, there's every team I feel like I can match up against. So that's the key to me. All right. Time for agree or disagree. Agree or disagree, Judd, Michael Floyd is going to end this season with fewer than 10 catches. Uh, You know what? I'm going to disagree and say that there's still a lot of season left. If he can stay healthy, I'm not saying it's it's not, he's not going to have the impact I believe he would. Uh, And I'm not sure that he's going to have the impact that made the kombucha tea defense worth it. (laughs) Uh, But all that being said, I'm going to say he goes north of 10. Agree or disagree, Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray will both be on the 2018 Minnesota Vikings. Um, ooh, boy, they could keep Murray around. I was earlier predicting he wouldn't be. 
You know what? I'm going to – now with the way they played, I'm going to agree. I'm going to say – because I thought originally that Latavius would be one and done. I'm not so not so sure now. So I will agree that they'll both be on the roster next year. Agree or disagree, Everson Griffin can reach 20 sacks this season. Oh, that's a – he's got a lot. But the, uh, I'm going to agree. It's a huge number, but he's got the ability. He's Why got – 10 so far. He picked up yeah. one at the end of the game. Had five quarterback hits. I mean, uh, I mean, why not? Man, they, they were doing everything they could to keep him away from the quarterback, and he still ended up with five quarterback hits. Agree or disagree, Trey Wayans is now having a pretty decent season. Oh, I've agreed with that for quite a while. Listen, he I understand he's not Xavier Rhodes, who, by the way, got, for the first time in I, I don't know how long, got turned around and burned on a uh, fairly significant reception today. Uh, but that being said, Trey Waynes, I think he's having a fine year. He's getting thrown at a lot. He's not breaking down. I really – here's the thing about Trey Waynes I really like, and this is something that a lot of football players, especially defensive backs in 2017, lack. When he does get burned, he can tackle. There's so many guys that can't tackle. I, You know what? I, I've been on the Trey Waynes bandwagon of saying I think – and I've said this for like three weeks now to you, I think. I think he's having a pretty good year. I may have asked you this before, but I'll ask you again. Agree or disagree, the Minnesota Vikings will win more than 10 games. Uh, I know. I think we talked about this on on the show, uh, on the weekday show. Um, (laughs) Am I drinking the Kool-Aid right now, or am I going to be realistic? Because I think they'll be right around 10. I'm going to disagree and say they finish right around 10, which would put them at four more. They're on the road a lot. They've only got three home games left. I mean, they certainly could, but I'm going to I'm going to say that they will win 10 exactly. Uh, agree or disagree, Hugh Jackson will make it to the end of this season. Agree. Uh, there's, what's the point? Yeah. Like, what's the point of firing him? What's the point of being a Cleveland Browns fan? What's the point of owning this completely putrid franchise right yeah i mean he'll he'll get fired on the monday after the season ends and if marvin lewis survives in cincinnati which i'm i'm sure is up for debate he'll go back there as the offensive coordinator but why fire him who's gonna take over who cares i also wanted to say shout out to david morgan for a good game today that Mm -hmm. I, i think david morgan as weird as this sounds for a number two tight end has had a very good season and has brought quite a bit of value to this offense. He's allowed Pat Shermer to put in big packages, heavy packages with extra tight ends and extra fullbacks that normally you don't see a whole lot in the NFL. Last year it was almost, I think it was like 65% of the time they were just with one tight end, three wide receivers, and much, much more this season you're seeing Morgan in the game. He had a big catch in this game for 14 yards. I think that was on the third down, and he's been a really good blocker. So even though you don't have the vertical threat tight end that everybody dreams of, having this big mauler of a blocking tight end who can catch yep. the ball when you throw it his way, has yep. been pretty valuable. The offensive line improvement, Matthew, is by far and away the most important thing, right? I, we can all agree on that. Number it one. Put, it was putrid last year. It's good this year. If you, can't, if you don't have time, if you can't run block and you can't pass block, you're screwed and your season's done. Okay. Getting past that for one second. If you were to ask me, Pat Shermer, where are the two position groups he has helped the most? It's not even close to me. Running back, 
tight ends. Yeah. The difference in how Rudolph is being used now, the difference in how the tight ends are being used now, the packages in which they're being used now is an enormous difference. And I will say the West Coast offense has been run in this town for a long time. I mean, Bevel and Childress did it. Shermer's brought it back. Um, I think Musgrave did a little bit of it, not really truly. So I, I'd say no on that. But anyway, my point being, this is the best the West Coast offense has been operated in this town other than what Favre did, which was off the charts, but he was also the coordinator, essentially, in 2009. Like, for a, this is the best offensive coordinator run West Coast offense that we've seen. And when it's run correct, you know what? It can be pretty good. Well, I agree. And I figured it was the right time at the very end of the podcast to send a shout out to the number two tight end. That's the right time to do it. Uh, I thought it was very nice of you. Very kind. David Morgan will appreciate great that. Great hair. Wonderful guy. Um, <laughs> you can stop right there. Okay. So uh, just last thing for all of you loyal Purple Podcast listeners, uh, we'll have lots for you this week. Going to connect with my friend Brandon Thorne, who is the offensive line expert, to break down why the Vikings offensive line is so much better. Courtney and Judd will both be back, and we'll have lots of fun bi-week conversations, including something uh, you brought up, Judd, earlier. Just where do the Vikings rank in the NFC? So we'll have uh, lots coming for you. Appreciate all of you listening through this first half of the season. And uh, it will be fun the rest of the way. So thank you, and uh, thank you, Judd, as always. Bye, caller. Goodbye, Judd. Bye, week. Bye.